1954, the movie Creature from the Black Lagoon splashed its way across movie theater screens across the country. Sometime in the 90s, well, I saw the movie on VHS. And in 2014, Monster Kid Radio launches its first spin-off podcast, Creature Cast Among Us, hosted by me, Monster Kid Radio's Derek M. Cook. I'd like to welcome you to the very first episode of Creature Cast Among Us, and I'm Excited Now, Creature from the Black Lagoon, in case you're not paying attention, is my favorite film of all time. I've loved this movie since the very first time I popped it in to my VCR. Yeah, I was on VHS the first time I saw it. Man, I wish I could have seen it on the big screen in a theater setting the first time. Although, I have made up for that. Pretty much every time this movie plays at a theater somewhere, I find a way to get there to watch it for myself. Because, man, I love this movie. Film. And I love podcasting, so why not combine the two and create a creature-specific show? Creature Cast Among Us will be a monthly show released once a month, the final Saturday of every month, which means that this episode is going out on November 29th. Now, if you're a subscriber of Monster Kid Radio, you already get this. This will be part of the Monster Kid Radio feed. Now, eventually, there will be a separate feed and separate website for Creature Cast Among Us. So if you only want to listen to Creature Talk, and really, what more do you need other than, well, more Creature Talk? The rest of it's all gravy. If you only want to listen to Creature Talk, you'll be able to just subscribe to this feed all by itself. So that's coming. Stay tuned. In the meantime, you're going to find it on Monster Kid Radio, and anything that you hear about here on the show, you're going to find over at monsterkidradio.net, including show notes for every episode, which will have a link to the website, The Shadow Over Portland, that is Chris McMillan's website, and he's my very first guest on Creature Cast Among Us. I wanted to call back to the first episode of Monster Kid Radio. Chris McMillan was my very first guest slash co-host. He's been on Monster Kid Radio proper many times since then, but he was there to help me launch the show when we discussed our top three favorite classic monster movies. And big surprise, Creature from the Black Lagoon was in both of our number one slots. So I knew when it was time to launch the new Creature show, I had to have him back. The topic of this episode is the top three things that we love about Creature from the Black Lagoon, not named Julie Adams. We're going to get to that in a moment. Before that, though, big thanks to John Sheffer and Invisible Dracula. It's their music that you heard at the top of the show. It's from the Invisible EP. The song is called Theme from the Moistening. Anytime you put on a podcast and you hear that song, well... You're going to hear some creature talk because theme from the moistening with John's permission is the official theme song of creature cast among us. John, thank you so much. I love your music. I love this song and I think it fits creature perfectly. Why don't we go ahead and get to the top three reasons why we love creature from the black lagoon with Chris McMillan right now. No. 
science couldn't explain it. But there it was, alive, in the deep, deep waters of the Amazon. A throwback to a creature that had existed a hundred million years ago. Immensely strong and destructive. A woman's beauty, the bait that brought it out of its lair. See underwater thrills never photographed before. See titanic underwater battles never dreamed of before in this most terrifying of the science fiction adventures. I thought it would be fitting to launch the very first episode of Creature Casts Among Us with the guest that launched Monster Kid Radio with me last year. Chris McMillan from the shadow over Portland was the very first person that co-hosted monster kid radio. And I wanted him here to talk about our favorite film. Chris, how are you? I'm doing real well, Derek. How are you doing? I'm doing great and extremely happy to have you on the show. It's really great to be back doing uh, a, a podcast with you and especially one about the creature. Cause you know, Hey, it's the creature. It is the creature. Now, for a long time, listeners of Monster Kid Radio proper, that episode was about our favorite classic monster movies. It was a top three list. We went back and forth. And spoiler, if you haven't already listened to it from over a year and a half ago, Chris and I both picked Creature from the Black Lagoon as our number one film. Absolutely not planned. It just worked that way. Well, as it should. I think any yeah. monster kid you know, has to love Creature, <laughs> right? Oh, Definitely. And it's definitely in our number one spot. Oh, yeah. It it does not change. As we've said, the two, three, four, they'll flex around, but the creature just stays up top. Always. Always. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first time you saw a creature? Yeah, I think it was here in Portland. I think it was on uh, Channel 12 back when it was locally owned. It was one of those movies that would occasionally come on. Although I might have seen it in California. I really don't remember. All I remember is once I saw it, I was hooked. I mean, any time that came on, I was watching it. I'm in the same boat. As soon as I saw it, it was part of me. Yeah, it just kind of hit that nerve. You know, it just, it worked. Everything worked so well. It stays in your mind. It's it's almost haunting you all the time because you just go look at the water. And some people see, you know, the shark from Jaws. I'm going, I wonder where the creature is. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. That's exactly where I'm at. I don't remember where I was when I was. When I first saw it, I'm sure it was on VHS. Mm-hmm. I think we can track it down to then. And I think it was probably part of that Universal Monster collection when they put out, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, and all that. But when that happened, I couldn't tell you exactly. But as soon as I saw it, it was just part of me. And it's something that almost any time that I have an opportunity to see this movie, I jump at it. Oh, yeah. You know, at the drive in, I'm going. If it's the theater, I'm there. You've seen it in 3D. I have too. I've been lucky to see, catch it the few times it's played at the Hollywood in 3D. And it's it's really amazing how good the 3D on the 35mm print is. It's almost flawless. I, oh, yeah. I mean, it's a 35mm print, and the 3D definitely holds up. I saw that at the drive-in here in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, two nights. <laughs> I went two of the three nights it was showing <laughs> to catch it in 3D, and it looked great. This was back before they got their digital projection upgrade. Oh, and then right. Recently, it was shown at the Joy Cinema as well here in the Beaverton side of town. Yeah, I, I wanted to go, but they were showing it so late. I, I'm basically your your stereotypical Portland bus and bike commuter. I don't own a car, and it was just too hard to get back after that. But, oh, God, that would have been awesome. It was the digital print. 
Oh. Which I uh, believe is the same thing they use for the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. It looked amazing. Oh, yeah? Oh, it looked really good. The 3D conversion or upgrade or however it is they remastered it to make it digital, it looked good. I think I'd still prefer to see it on film just because I'm a purist, but the digital 3D looked awesome. Oh, really? So they cleaned it up as well a bit? A little more clear in spots. Hmm. But it's not like this movie is aged poorly anyway. I mean, it is from the 50s. Some of our favorite Universal Monster movies are from the 30s and such, and there, there are some issues. The, the sound, for example, sometimes sounds a little... Yeah. You know, so there's a little bit of that. But with a movie from... Well, this movie's what, from 1954? It held up pretty well anyway, and just the way that 3D worked as a digital looked awesome. Well, while I don't remember exactly the first time I saw this movie, the last time I saw the movie, it was actually on Sven Gulli's show mm-hmm. on BTV. He hosted it. He did the three creature films in a row, you know, one week after the other. Oh, so nice. I was able to see that one on Sven Gulli, which... You know, I always feel kind of silly watching movies on MeTV hosted by Sven Gulli because most of the time I already have the movies on DVD or Blu-ray in my collection. <laughs> so I can watch the movie in better definition or whatever because MeTV is not HD. And, right. But it's hosted by a horror host. And I think that kind of puts it over the top for me. So I'll watch it. <laughs> oh, you have to. If, it's, if, if you've got access to a horror host showing Creature, I don't blame you. I mean, I've got the DVD collection, the one they released years ago. I'd still watch it with a horror host. I'm still going to the theater when it shows up. It's the movie you just can't get enough of in any format. Agreed. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about. Well, that is the thing we're going to talk about in the first episode of Creature Cast Among Us. We're going to talk about the top three things we love about this movie, not named Julie Adams. The reason we keep coming back to this movie, you know, granted, Julie Adams is one of the reasons we keep coming back to the movie. But there are other things as well about this film that we love. Mm-hmm. So, no Julie Adams. Well, I don't want to live in a world without Julie Adams. Well, but, but not in our list. I'm, yeah, no, I agree with you. But uh, So, that also excludes her um, white one-piece swimsuit, right? The bathing suit's amazing. She's amazing. She's a great actress in the film. She <laughs> plays a great character. Oh, yeah. And even though I call her my 50s girlfriend from time to time, mm-hmm. every time I talk about her... <laughs> <laughs> There's still a lot more about this movie that just makes it stand out as a bonafide classic and our favorite. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm sure that we're going to have some overlap. Oh, I think so. We were speaking before we recorded, before I hit the record button, that we're probably going to have a lot of overlap. And chances are our lists are going to look very similar, and that's okay. Oh, yeah. I think so. Do you want to kick things off? Sure. Are we going... From three to one? Yeah, let's do three to one. Let's do a countdown like we did that first episode of Monster Kid Radio. My number three reason for loving this movie is the underwater photography is spectacular, especially when you consider they were using those giant clunky 3D cameras, you know, the two cameras in one housing underwater. It's it's just amazing work to coordinate everything that's happening. You've got the the underwater chase scenes. You've got the, okay, I'm going to have to mention Julie Adams, but the ballet scene. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got all this stuff coming together that's shot basically on the other side of the nation from where the movie was originally done, and yet it all works seamlessly, you know? I agree with you, and... <laughs> We're kind of getting ahead because that's going to turn up in my list later. But the underwater (laughs) photography of this film makes this film gorgeous. 
Oh, yeah. The ballet scene. You mentioned the dance scene with, well, and it's not technically a dance, but it may as well could have been with the Gilman and Kay mm-hmm. interacting kind of in that one shot. You've got Julie Adams above water. You've got Ginger Stanley underwater being the underwater mm-hmm. uh, double for Julie Adams. You've got the way it's directed, the way it's composed. James Curtis Havens was the underwater sequence director, so I'm assuming he was involved. That was all his filming, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know. And so you've got this guy over in a beautiful spring in Florida filming all this stuff. And, you know, it's so well done that the only reason you know there's a difference is if you watch when Kay's in the water and, you know, the creature's reaching up to touch her, there's a difference in the water, in the visibility of the water. Underwater, it's sparkling, clear, beautiful. And yet when you're looking above the water at K, I mean, it's pretty murky stuff, but then it's a universal back lot. So I'm sure they didn't, they weren't really filtering a whole lot. This is true. So there, there's a little bit there, but for the most part, for the most part, you can't really tell the difference. And to have the two scientists going after the creature with the spear guns, I mean, that's an exciting chase sequence Mm -hmm. and it's just, Two guys swimming after a gill man. You didn't, you, you know. It's just two guys chasing after a gill man. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, but it could have been handled so clumsily, is, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It's, you know, I mean, but the music, the editing, the pacing of the scene just all work wonderfully. We were calling the, the bit between Gilman and Kay a dance, but there's so much with David and Mark, the two scientists that you were mm-hmm. talking about, when they're chasing after the gill man. That's very well choreographed. Mm-hmm. There is some dance-like movement to the way that's done as well. And another thing that I like about the underwater photography and the sequences, you don't see this as much in the following two films, which I also love. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. But it's almost as if they tried real hard to hide the air bubbles coming out of the Gilman suit in the first film. They're much more noticeable in the second and third film. Yeah. Especially in the second one where they're coming out of the top of his head. Right. Cause the, the head wasn't, made for the anyway yeah we'll yeah. talk about that at some point in the future i'm sure on creature cast among us but in this one they tried so hard and maybe maybe they didn't even have to try maybe it was just a design of the suit you really can't see the air bubbles coming out so it just holds on to that reality just a little bit better than mm-hmm. a lot of films that had underwater monsters and that sort of thing yeah and and you know i mean there's lots of films that have underwater monsters there's a lot you know like uh the, the monster of pedro's blancas you know this oh is, yeah that's an underwater monster. It's supposed to be swimming. Budgetarily, you know, they didn't have the money for it. Most other um, beasts from the haunted sea, you know, the monster's just sitting there. It's not really doing anything. This was one of the one of the fifties monsters, you know, fifties and sixties underwater monsters that actually did stuff underwater and really looked good doing it. Oh yes, that gets into something later in my list that I'll talk about. But me too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> But, um, you know, I mean, it just, just to see this, this underwater creature actually behave like an underwater creature is spectacular. It's captured on film so well by Havens. That's why it's my number three. Well, my number three is another member of the cast, not named Julie Adams. Now, I love Richard Denning. I love Richard Carlson. I think they're fantastic actors. I love them in everything that I've seen them do. Oh, yeah. However, there's somebody else in the cast. The minute he turns up on screen, 
I'm I'm just in. And he's kind of a caricature, but I don't care. Oh I yeah. love Lucas. He's my number three, played <laughs> by Nestor Pava. Nestor Pava is fantastic. I Lucas will do it. I love Lucas. He's the only character outside of the Gilman to appear in a follow up mm-hmm. of the film. He appears in the sequel. Yeah. I love Lucas in this film, man. I think he's just fantastic. I love the lines. I love the delivery. I love everything about Pava's performance in this film. Now, I don't know a heck of a lot about him, you know, as a as an actor, his career, that sort of thing. I know he did a lot in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. I probably should go back and learn more about him because I love him so much in this film. Do you know yeah. much about him at all? No, I don't. No, but you're right. His performance is great. And the, and the really wonderful thing about his performance in this movie is really a friendly, nice, jolly person. But then when everybody's trying to get out, Mark, yeah, they're saying, no, 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 we can't leave. We can't leave. He gets, you know, Lucas gets a little dangerous in that scene. There is a moment there where he, I do question Lucas's... Not necessarily loyalty, because, I mean, it's his boat and his life and his men, that sort of thing. Obviously, he was contracted to bring the people to the Black Lagoon to begin Mm -hmm. with, but it's just a great blue-collar versus white-collar kind of thing that's about to happen. Yeah. That I really enjoyed. And you know Mark's not going to be coming out on top with this one. No. I mean, doesn't Lucas gesture to a knife? Yeah, he's at one point he, and he's, like, oh. he's got that, and he's still smiling. He's still got that smile, but there's just all of a sudden, the actor just gives this little bit of menace to the smile. It's not as jolly. It's like you know, you mess with me, you gotta get hurt. Mm-hmm. And and Mark backs down right away. Whoa, <laughs> I might have hired the wrong guy. I can't control him. <laughs> exactly. He's so used to being able to control people in that white collar academic environment because he's got the money and all that. But we're mm-hmm. out here in the real world. We're in the Black Lagoon. We're on Lucas's boat. Yeah. I'm the captain. What I say goes and we're getting the hell out. It actually reminds me of and I know the movie came out much later, but it reminds me a little bit of Ben in Night of the Living Dead. You might be boss down there, but I'm boss up here. Oh, yeah, that's true. And so it kind of resonates with me for that reason as well. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely, you're right, the blue-collar, white-collar struggle because, you know, this the the Mark's like, hey, I'm the scientist. I've got the education. I determine what we do. And Lucas is like, no, no, you really don't. (laughs) Because first of all, this is my boat. Second of all, you can't run it. Third of all, (laughs) I'm saying we're getting out. We're getting out. Yep, yep. And – you know, before they even get to that point, it's his idea that actually leads to them being able to capture the Gilman to begin with. Oh, yeah. He's the one that brings out the rote note. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's got street smarts that complements the book smarts of the scientists along for the right. It's just so good. I love Lucas in the film, and that's why Lucas and Nestor Pava is my number three reason to love Creature from the Black Lagoon. Very good reason. <laughs> Not quite mine, but my number two is another member of the cast who – gives a great performance, and that's Rico Browning. Oh, yeah. I mean, not taking away from Ben Chapman, he was he was great as the surface gill man, but Browning really is amazing underwater. The way he swims, I mean, he doesn't even swim like a human in the, <laughs> when he's under there. You know, he's got this, it looks like a human can do it, but it doesn't look human. It's not 
what a human would do underwater because he's spinning and he's swimming on his back underwater and doing all this stuff. And it's like his performance underneath the water really convinces you that this is not a guy in a suit. You know, I mean, we all know it is, but his performance gives you that added bit of suspension of disbelief. It allows you to go, yeah, this is something totally different. This is not normal. I agree with you. It's amazing. You mentioned swimming on his back. I challenge anybody to try to swim upside down underwater just wearing your swimming suit. Then imagine trying to do it wearing the gill man suit. Yeah, and, and I mean, cow. yeah, that would be, you know, that would be very tough, if not impossible for most people. When he's swimming, he's turning. His body's doing 360s while he's swimming. You know, when he's being chased, he's doing a 360 to look behind him and then get back to swimming forward. It's amazing work. Of course, at the end of the underwater ballet, as I always call it, um, you know, he's tentatively reaching for K, you know, reaching at her ankle. And... He really does a good job of being like a very leery animal of these new intruders and this one that's just kind of captivated him. I mean, just the performance of him reaching and as she kicks, pulling the claw away, beautiful. I think not enough can be said about his physical acting in the suit. Yes, he's great as a swimmer. That was his stock and trade. That's what he was. He was a diver. Mm -hmm. He did this. But he brought a level of performance through the suit Mm -hmm. that really brought the character to life. The tentativeness, as you mentioned, is he's reaching for Kay's ankle when he's underwater and struggling with Mark and David. All of that is just gorgeous, amazing body acting. And the thing is, what sold it was the photography. I mean, if you look at his performance in Revenge of the Creature, he doesn't have a chance to shine like he did. I mean, granted, part of the reason is he's chained to the bottom of an aquarium most of the movie. But this movie really gave him the opportunity to show what he could do. I mean, he just, he nails it. He's given the opportunity to do a great performance, and he nails it. Yeah, I agree. Now, he was not the first guy to play the Gilman underwater in Revenge of the Creature. They actually had cast somebody else, and the suit mm-hmm. was designed for somebody else at that point. And that's why you have that kind of ill-fitting headpiece, which does yeah. allow the bubbles to come out in Revenge. But even then, he does the best that he can. But he's in such a small area, it's hard to see him really strut his stuff and flex his muscles. The underwater sequences in Creature, man, when he has a chance to just swim and do whatever, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He is. So he's got to be number two for me. Well, my number two accompanied everything that he did, as mm-hmm. well as everything else in the film, and it's the film's music. Oh, yes. I love the music. We've got five people that contributed to the music in some way. There may be more, but I mm-hmm. know of the three that did music for the film, Henry Mancini, Hans J. Salter, and Herman Stein, as well as some folks that were involved in some stock music that did some stock music for the film. Robert Emmett Dolan and Milton Rosen did some stock music. Mm -hmm. Music from other films were brought in, and they were the composers on that. I love the music in this film. Now, I know sometimes it's a little over the top, and I think it even gets kind of teased a little bit for being over the top, and you get to hear the music later in other films as well, like King Kong versus Godzilla for some reason (laughs) or other. And Tarantula used the Sting as well. Yeah, the Sting from Mm -hmm. Creature 
it, tarantula, it came from outer, you know, it's all part of that universal sound now. Yeah. That, that classic 50s universal sound. The music in this film, I adore it. I'm a soundtrack guy. People know mm-hmm. that I collect film scores, and I can tell you that not a week goes by that I don't listen to the Creature from the Black Lagoon soundtrack at least once. I believe it. <laughs> I love the music. I'm not as much of a soundtrack person, but as I started looking into the Creature, the fact that there were three different composers doing three different styles. Wasn't Mancini doing more of the romantic music? And then someone else was doing the the underwater music and someone else was doing something else. But even with three different composers, it just kind of seamlessly works, which I find amazing because you would think the styles would clash, but it doesn't. It just works so well. And I may be wrong because I'm not the soundtrack guy. You are. But if I remember right, weren't they doing each composer was doing music for different sequences you know, I'd have to do a little bit more digging on that myself because I don't know as much as I would like to about the behind the scenes and who was chosen to do what. Mm-hmm. But I think if you listen to the soundtrack by itself without having any context at all, you will hear the different styles. And that's because the movie has different styles of storytelling going on in it yeah. as well. It's a monster movie. There's a love triangle. It's an adventure film. It's a jungle picture. There's mm-hmm. all these different elements that the soundtrack manages to encompass and then bring together into one, I'm going to use the word beautiful, cohesive whole. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I just remember reading somewhere that Mancini was mostly doing the, um, you know, the romantic triangle music, and then someone else was doing something else. But you expect a difference in style for each of those sequences. You know, you don't expect the sting to be coming into the romantic moments. It's so seamless. I really, you know, when I first started watching this, I had no clue that there were three different, at least three different people working on the soundtrack. I thought it was all one person. Which speaks to the, I don't want to say the word intent, but speaks to how it was all brought together. Yeah. The design of the film, whether that was a directorial choice, a production choice, whatever the reason, it seems to work very well. It is a little over the top in spots. Like you said, you mentioned the singer, and it does throw out, it does kind of creep in every once in a while. (laughs) The first time you hear the singer, though, it is so effective that you barely even notice that one of the creature's fingernails on the claw is made out of rubber. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if you watch the movie enough, I think people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's a few little goofs like that. But the music carries the scene, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah, no. And, you know, I mean, come on. A little bit of a, of a fingernail? I think we can live with that. Oh, but, yeah. but, yeah, when you first hear that sting, it just... You don't even see the creep. You just see its claw coming up, and it's an amazing claw. Oh, yeah. And you're just sitting there going, holy cow, this is nasty. Mm-hmm. You know, you get that impression from that. Now, yeah, I, I think they, towards the end of the movie, they start overusing the sting a little bit. Because <laughs> it's like every time the creature shows up, bam, and by the, you know, and there it is again. Even in the same scene, you know, the creature swims off and then circles around. You get the sting twice in that one moment. It got a little heavy-handed, but it still works. It's still exciting. The composers were able to 
do a little bit different, not make the sting sound the same over and over again. They changed a few things. They changed some of the pacing. They did some work with it. So it's not really a complaint. It's just, yeah, you know, it gets a little over. It's an acknowledgement. Yes. <laughs> to me, it has the Jaws effect. When you hear the music, you know the creature is nearby. Oh, yeah. You know, just like with Jaws, when you hear the dun 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 you know the shark's coming. Mm-hmm. which later Jaws films seem to kind of forget. But at least with the first Jaws, you hear that, you know, the monster's there. With, with Creature, you hear the dun-dun-dun, you know the creature's coming. Yeah. And I played the trailer for the film at the very beginning of the episode, so mm-hmm. you have heard the sting at least twice by now, listeners. So. <laughs> you can't avoid it in the no, movie. you cannot. You cannot. So that's my number two. The music, I adore it. Mm-hmm. And so we're at number one now, That's huh? Number one. Number one for me is the creature design, the suit. Mm-hmm. Y- you could not have the movie without that design. I'm flashing back to the first episode of Monster Kid Radio where our number ones were the same thing. Uh-oh. <laughs> because my number one is the suit design as well. <laughs> wow. Great Monster Kid minds think alike. There you go. Mm-hmm. You know... I've seen some pictures, some of the earlier concepts they had for the creature. Have you ever seen those online? Yeah. Yeah, the the eel-like thing that someone commented looked more like the Oscar statue than a creature. I have a real hard time imagining the film with that design because it is bizarre. It's more alien-looking to me. It doesn't look like something that grew up in the lagoon. Yeah, no, it, and, and, you know, I mean, if it's going to be eel-like, well, it wouldn't have flippers. It wouldn't really have hands, uh, you point. know? It, it just doesn't look right. But then, you know, they come up with this scaly design, um, you know, the, the webbed hands, and so much detail, so much detail in that costume. You look at it, you know, you look at just the hand, and you know it's a guy's hand in a rubber costume, but it looks so beautiful. There's so much detail. There's individual scales. There's the webbing on the fingers have a different look, you know, like almost look translucent, which is what they should. Um, and then the fingernails minus the one that kind of flexes a little, just <laughs> amazing stuff. I and feel then, like you may have just ruined that scene for anybody who's never noticed that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, everybody's gone back and looked for it. We all have. <laughs> Just like we all went back and looked for the telephone pole when the Rita was going down the um, down the river. Uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. You know, you got to see those crazy little, little bloopers because they're fun. Yeah. But getting back to the costume, you know, it just works so well. And it is so good that you don't even notice that Ben Chapman's wearing a slightly different version than Rico Browning. This is true. Uh, they did not have the same body size. Yeah. So they had to make some tweaks to the suit to make it fit. But because of the design of the suit, it lent itself to be able to do that without really noticing. Yeah, because all they did was add a third scale somewhere along the chest of Ben Chapman because he was a bigger guy. And, I mean, it really looks close enough. You really have to be looking to notice the difference. And if it's your first time viewing that movie and you're busy trying to nitpick like that, you're missing out on a great film. (laughs) Oh, totally. Now, at the very beginning of this, you mentioned the underwater photography being your number three. And I said I wanted to get back to that. I think Mm -hmm. the suit works so well underwater. I mean, it looks like a menacing beast above land. Mm -hmm. But when it's underwater, it's 
gorgeous. It's so yeah. good. Chapman gives a great performance, but if you watch, he's intentionally slower and lumbering. The creature is amphibious. We all know that, but it's better underwater than it is on land. And that makes sense for that sort of a, a being, you know, it's designed more to swim. And the suit conveys that in it the performances, in the performances underwater. And when it's above land, mm-hmm. there's a couple of shots of Jessup's head as it's kind of moving forward and you can see it struggling to breathe as oh, its yeah. gills are opening up and its mouth's kind of opening up fish. Like, you know, with, it's just so good to just to have that lo- that one headpiece with the bladders or whatever they were using to get the gills to work. That was gorgeous. I mean, you're just like, yeah, this is an amphibian. They the designers knew what they were doing when they made that costume. You know, when they made the suit. The designer being Bud Westmore, right? Well, mm, <laughs> <laughs> there is that little bit. No. Millicent Patrick was the actual designer for what became the Gill Man. She was brought in after they decided that the uh, eel-like approach wasn't going to work. She's she's basically now acknowledged as the one responsible for the Gill Man. Not to take anything from Bud Westmore. His his crew designed a great suit, but she was the one who made the who who drew the concept that became the creature we all love. Agreed. Now, the Westmores, their legacy, well, I mean, they're still kind of sort of involved in the industry today. Oh, yeah. Special makeup effects. Uh, Michael Westmore did a lot of Star Trek, and Mackenzie Westmore hosts Face Off, for crying out loud. So, Mm -hmm. the Westmores are still involved in the industry in one way or the other. The Westmores have a long history in special makeup effects and creature design and that sort of thing. But without Millicent Patrick, we would not have the Gill Men as we know it today. We wouldn't. And I don't know how into it we want to get, but there was a long time when she was not acknowledged as the creature designer, as the, quote, beauty who created the beast, unquote, as I'm reading on an Examiner article here online. Yeah. Well, the, she was on a tour mm-hmm. with, you know, some of the creature costume, you know, as a beauty and the beast. And she had a script. She had to give credit to Westmore. This is something I read online, so, you know, I mean, everybody knows everything online is telling the truth. Um, But, you know, (laughs) apparently Westmore just didn't like the idea of her touring with the costume, and it got canceled. And and I also remember that um, one of the directors of uh, the movie The Monster of Pedros Blancas basically worked for Westmore. He he worked on The Creature. He worked on uh, The Mole Men with Westmore, and he was not very happy, as most of Westmore staff weren't, because they never got any acknowledgement. You know, you don't know the whole story, but you exactly. know, it, it's kind of like these people got buried, um, whether intentionally or not, and it's a shame, you know, especially in the case of Patrick, because her design is just amazing. It really is. And this was not just a fluke. This was not a one-hit thing for her. Oh, no. She worked in other films as well. I bet in Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, it came and, from outer space, the Mole Men. And and if I remember right, she also was responsible for some of the design of the Metaluna mutant from this island, Earth. Which is another iconic. Well, all iconic. Of yeah. I would say are various levels of iconic creature designs. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I mean, she really had a hand in a lot of the 50s creatures that stand out. You know, she did some amazing work, obviously. So it's nice that she's starting to get the credit she deserves. Agreed. She definitely needs more recognition or she deserves more recognition. Now she's no longer with us. And my Mm -hmm. research tells me that she is a very private person. So I don't know if she would appreciate having a lot of attention these days or did at the end of her life. But regardless, she deserves the credit for creating the gill man without her. No gill man, no film that we all love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'd have to pick another number one. And I don't know if I could do that. Oh boy. I I don't know if I can, again, I can't imagine my life without creature. I can't either. (laughs) I mean, a big part of who I am, which is kind of sad to say, is it sad to say that about a movie from the 1950s? I don't know. I don't think so. Cause I mean, there's so much in there. That's so iconic. That's so eye catching. That is so beautiful that it doesn't matter that it's in black and white. It doesn't matter that it's from the fifties. It doesn't matter that, You know, Kay is basically the woman in peril by the end of the movie. There's so much going on in this film. There are so many good performances. There's such good work behind the camera. You can't help but get caught up with it. You know, this is firing on all cylinders. We, you know, you just are along for the ride. A testament to this film. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that the last time that I saw this film was on Sven show on MeTV. I had it on. My wife came into the room. She's never seen the movie before. Really? I don't know how we've gotten through 14 years of marriage without her watching Creature from the Black Lagoon, but anyway. (laughs) But she comes into the room, and she started watching it with me. Mm -hmm. And she did not turn away. She only made a few comments, (laughs) but she ended up watching the rest of the movie with me as well. She actually had more derisive things to say about Sven than the film, so I consider that a win. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's a win. (laughs) That is a win. So I have to ask you, Hmm. there's been talk about a remake of this film for years. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember if we talked about this on Monster Kid Radio number one or not, but I don't think we did. I think we, we avoided the R word. Well, (laughs) I'm going to bring it up now. What do you think? Can it be remade? Should it be remade? Well, I think the answer to that is no, but can it be remade? I think, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Any movie can be remade. And you can argue whether it should or shouldn't. People might have said you shouldn't remake The Fly when they heard that um, David Cronenberg was doing it. But the end result is spectacular. So, it's so you know, I mean, in that case, it was worth it. Now, my only concern with a remake this day, at this time is we're going to get into CGI. I know there's a lot of great CGI work out there but I just don't think it's going to work for an underwater creature. I don't think the motion capture will work because they'd have to be filming someone underwater anyway. And I'm not quite sure how that would work. And honestly, unless they're going to pour a whole lot of money into it, CGI does not, is not always convincing to me. It can look great at times, but more times than not, it's just kind of like, you know, that it's not there. You know, that somebody, somewhere was working on a computer and that's what you got. I think by keeping the creature underwater, they could probably pull off the CGI a little bit more because you've got the water kind of obscuring a little bit, but unless they put, well, and even if they put like a Doug Jones or an Andy circus in a motion capture suit, Mm 
mm-hmm. it's still going to lose a little bit of that physicalness, the realness, for lack of a better term, rubber suitedness <laughs> yeah. that you get with the original film. So I, I do have that same fear if they are going to go and do a remake. It's been on the tables, off the tables, off and on over the years. They did that Universal Stage Show at Universal Studios a few years ago, the rock and roll musical version of it, and that didn't do too well. So maybe yeah. it gave them cold feet for a while. I don't know. Yeah, well, now that they're talking about the Universal Monster Universe, I guess. Universal Unite. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we're going to see a Gilman real soon. But, you know, it, it, I just... Uh, I just don't. I just don't think they're gonna be able to capture the grandeur. I don't think that the filmmakers are gonna do their best to inject mystery and suspense and, and a sense of awe about this about the creature. They're just gonna go, "Hey, look, we got this giant fish thing underwater. It's gonna be cool." And it's like, no, that's not. You've got to build up the mystery right now. As far as the CGI goes, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing like what Guillermo del Toro did in Pan's Labyrinth, where you have Doug Jones in a suit and CGI is there to enhance. You know, I think that would work real well because the Gilman's got to interact way too much. And I can't see them doing a motion capture underwater and then having to frame in who at what you know whoever they get to star as if they do bring k into the movie however they get to star you know as k somehow combining the two elements i don't know maybe that's just the purest in me maybe that's just the rubber suited monster lover in me I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but i love me some rubber suited monsters i will say who's you're in a safe place here chris it's okay to say that out loud i'm right that's there true. with you nobody's gonna give you any grief over liking rubber suited <laughs> monsters here oh yeah i know with the Universal films, Frankenstein, Dracula, they all have their roots, or at least those two in the Invisible Man as well, have their roots in public domain. Mm-hmm. The Gill Man is not public domain. So when somebody wants to do a film throwing back or calling back to the Gill Man, they can't necessarily reference Creature from the Black Lagoon specifically. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't stop some filmmakers from including a Gill Man-like creature in their films. There was a Spanish comedy film at one point, and then, of course, The Monster Squad. Oh, yeah. What did you think of the Gill Man design in that? They never called him the Gill Man in the film. I think he's referenced in the end title rap song as the Gill Man, but other than that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was a great design. I mean, it looked great. It really did. I don't know if they could have made it work underwater because, you know, the Gill Man's always on land. I think it rises out of the water at one point, but you never see it swimming, if I remember right. I think you're right. We see him pop out of the lake when he's picking up the coffin or the casket or the box with Frankenstein's monsters in it. Mm -hmm. But that's it. And then we do see him pop him out of the sewer, but he's never in the water there either. Yeah, you'd never see him in the water. So, I mean, it's a great design if you're going to have the amphibious part of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's really good work, no doubt. I know that they couldn't get too close to the Gilman design or else Universal would have come down on them because um, the Monster Squad's not a Universal picture. But they gave it enough reference points and made it look a bit more like a fish. You know, the mouth definitely looked a little fishier. That's the right way to put it. <laughs> um, but it looked you know, fishy. Yeah, but it, it, yeah. You, you'd never saw it in the water, and 
you got if you're going to do a Gilman or a Gilman knockoff, you really need to have it swimming once or twice. I, I agree. I think there's a couple things in the movie in the Monster Squad that they had to veer away from. The Frankenstein's monstrous design couldn't have the flat top, that sort of oh, thing. Oh yeah. And where the bolts are aren't necessarily where they were on the Karloff monster. But I, I agree. I think it is a fishier looking monster, and it it would have been great to see it underwater at some oh. point. And I'd like to believe that the Gilman needs more than a shotgun to take him out. But that's just me. Yeah, I know that that was kind of it's like, really, that's it. That's it. Give me more. I want more. All right. Well, no, no, no. Mm. I mean, I love the movie, though. Don't get me wrong. I love the Monster Squad. Oh, yeah, it's a great movie. But the shotgun bit was just kind of like, that was all. No, that Gil man's tougher than that. I mean, he was taking Winchester rounds in the first movie for Pete's sake. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, he survives the end of the first creature to make it to the revenge, and and even creature walks among us. So yeah, and then he took a he took a poison. He took the rotenone. He took a spear gun. He took the gunshots. Yeah, and yeah, shotgun wouldn't alone wouldn't have done it. No, not at all. Not no. At all. One other concern I do have with any sort of creature remake is yeah. who they're gonna get. If they're, you know, I mean, if they're following the exact script, if they have the love triangle that becomes kind of a love rectangle because the creature gets thrown in, who they're gonna get to play K? I really worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's really hard to supplant Julie Adams for me in anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. And she's just a sweetheart. Having had a chance to meet her at Monster Bash, oh, she's... you lucky so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> she's such a sweetheart and so friendly and so wonderful in person. But, uh, yeah. but you yeah, know, the... who, who would cast the film? Who would be in the film altogether? I mean, he'd probably end up with some young 20-somethings. Uh-huh. You know, and, and the thing is, I mean, even though she, by the end of the film, is just basically the screaming damsel in distress, she conveys a sense of, I don't mean to be insulting or anything like that, but she conveys a sense of intelligence in the early parts of the films. She's smart. You know it. She doesn't have to prove it in any way. You just, you know, she's, she conveys it. In a way that the 20-something, which I also agree would probably be hired, they'd hire someone off TV or something, wouldn't be able to convey. You know, they'd hire somebody who would have to put on glasses like Tara Reid in Alone in the Dark to try and convey the sense that they're smart instead of just someone who can bring that to the role. I'm sorry, I I have a migraine. You mentioned Tara Reid in a conversation about Creature from the Black Lagoon, and my head kind of hurts a little bit. I'm sorry. I I kind of tuned out there. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Tara Reid in a discussion is kind of like retinol. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that that is my fear. We would get someone like that, and they would go, well, we have to make her smart. Let's put on glasses. Right. No, that's not how it works. Now, you know who would be good in the role? Hmm. And I don't remember the actor's name, but she plays Felicity in Arrow, if you've seen that series. Hmm. She's smart. She kind of, you know, she has her moments in the script, but she she conveys smartness and, you know, without having to prove it, even though she does every single episode. You know, you look at her, and even though you can say, well, she's gorgeous, and she is, she still carries herself with an air of intelligence, like Julie Adams did. 
Okay. You you have to have someone who can do that. And I don't know of very many people who would probably put into the remake that can do that. And that goes the same for the actors. You know? Yeah. I'm sure we'll, I'm sure the Mark will be played by some older actor, but David would be played by another 20 something guy. I'm sure of it. They they want to put people in the seats, you know, that coveted 18 to 25 demographic with a film like this i wouldn't mind it being rated pg-13 though if they were to remake it oh pg-13 or even pg really because it's not a bloody film i mean it's not gore and it's not about that no you don't need that you shouldn't have that in a creature film you shouldn't i I I agree you can you know if someone really wanted to do it they could do it but you don't need it there's enough going on just keep the movie running good. Get some great underwater photography. It'll be fine. And some awesome music. Awesome you gotta, music. Gotta have some awesome music. And some really good actors, not just somebody who's going to look good on film. And give Julie Adams and Rico Browning a cameo. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, they're still with us. Put them on screen. Come on. Get them up there. Just, just, <laughs> you know, doesn't matter what role. Although Rico Browning is a scuba uh, instructor or somebody, uh, you know, doing scuba inventory, that would be nice. Oh, there you go. There you go. Mm -hmm. There you go. Perfect. What else is there to say about the creature? We've talked about the top three reasons we love the movie, not named Julie Adams. We've talked about whether or not we'd like a remake, creature design, that sort of thing. What else is there to say about creature that we haven't covered yet? If you haven't seen it yet, shame on you. Go see it now. It's on Blu-ray. Universal oh, yeah. put it out on Blu-ray. It's part of the new Universal DVD. We know you probably already have all these movies sets, but buy it anyway set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like they just keep putting them out. Mm. So you can get your hands on it pretty easily. And like I said, Sven showed it at one point. I'm sure they'll show it again on Sven show on MeTV, so keep an eye out for that. It doesn't get shown on a lot of horror-hosted television these days because it is part of the Universal package, and most horror hosts stick to public domain films. But Sven has the Universal rights, so he can show those films. And if you can see it that way, it was good enough for my wife. So Yeah, you know, I mean, just go see it. And if it makes it to Hollywood, buy a ticket and go see it. Oh, yeah. If you're in the Portland, Oregon, you know, no matter where you are, if your local theater is showing Creature, you got to go. Oh, yeah. You know, and and doesn't matter whether it's the 3D presentation or not. Although, got to admit, the 3D, you know, the 3D holds up Um, that. Yeah, that one pan as they're digging out the claw from the uh, side of the (laughs) hill. Wow, that's like right in your face. It's beautiful. And you get the stinger right there, too. So it's Well, of course. <laughs> well, Chris, I want to thank you for taking the time with me to record today about Creature, for being part of the very first episode of Creature Cast Among Us. I'm really honored. I Thank you very much for inviting me. This has been, anytime I can talk about the Creature, it's a blast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How many times do you talk about Creature on your website? Not enough. Not enough. But that's okay. Um, we still want people to go to it. Oh, yeah. Well, if they do show it at the Hollywood, I'm just going to post up a review as to why you should go see the creature in 3D. There you go. You know, you can't talk enough about the creature. If you're going to talk monsters, you really need to talk creature because it is, without a doubt, the best monster suit out there. You know, I mean, I give all sorts of props to uh, the Frankenstein monster from Universal, uh, but, you know, the original mummy was 
beautiful, but still, there's something about the creature that just works so well. It is so matched with its environment. And I'm going to start going off on another, you know, tangent here <laughs> if we don't just stop. So <laughs> I love that I was giving you a segue to pimp your website, and you are still talking about creatures. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the Shadow Over Portland. Yes, The Shadow Over Portland. Take a look, because I list every horror event that's happening in the Northwest that I can get my hands on, whether I have to dig it up off the internet or someone sends me information, which if you're doing a horror event, you're certainly welcome to. You'll find it on the shadow over Portland. And that's at shadow over Mm-hmm. There you go. Thank you. We'll have to have Thank you back you. on the show and we'll have I, to have you on monster kid radio proper as well in the future. Oh, definitely. It's Anytime. It's it. And it's always a pleasure talking, um, you know, monsters with you. It's always fun. And I always learn something because you, you know, you bring in stuff that I'm like, really? Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> Go on. Okay, yeah. And and you're you're the soundtrack guy. If I ever need information <laughs> on a soundtrack, I know where to go. <laughs> well, I'm going to stop w- recording here, but I'm going to let Chris continue to say nice things about me. Thanks again, Chris. <laughs> you're what? Thank you. It's been a blast. <laughs> Huge thanks to Chris, man. I love this film, and I love that this film brings so many people together. I mean, Creature from the Black Lagoon, bonafide classic. The reason I haven't talked too much about it over on Monster Kid Radio proper is because I knew this spinoff show was going to happen. It's something I've been working on for a while, really been plugging for, and, well, I wanted to kind of save up. Save up so much that I have recordings that should fill at least two more episodes. So I'm already ahead of the game. I've got audio in the digital can. Let me tease you a little bit. Creature from the Black Lagoon has played at various movie theaters and drive-ins in my area. And I've tried to go every single time to support these movies and brought people with me. In fact, the very first Monster Kid Radio crash, which happened before Monster Kid Radio officially launched, I was there. And I met somebody at the drive-in who had never seen the movie before, recorded with him a little bit after the movie. I saw it at the Joy Cinema at one point. And again, there was somebody there who had never seen the movie recorded with him as well, as well as somebody who has seen the movie before. But the primary focus of that episode is going to be kind of like a first-timers club kind of thing. I was there the first time they got to see the Gilman in action. I wanted to get their thoughts. You're going to hear about that. Also, earlier this year, the summer 2014 Monster Bash, I was there, as was Julie Adams, and I got an interview with her. So we're going to have an interview with Julie Adams down the line as well, as well as an interview with Tom Weaver, who is a film scholar, one of the co-writers of what has become, in my opinion, the definitive Creature from the Black Lagoon book. And we'll talk about that when we do that interview. So stay tuned for that. Now, I'm not resting on my laurels. I'm going to be generating and creating more Creature from the Black Lagoon content. I have a number of topics and guests in mind. So you're just going to have to stay tuned again. Stay tuned to the Monster Kid radio feed to get your creature from the Black Lagoon, Creature Cast Among Us fix. Or if you're listening to this show and it's not on the Monster Kid radio feed, well, it looks like you found what I have eventually set up as the individual feed and website for the show. Head over to monsterkidradio.net in the meantime, though, to find all the information you need to know about this podcast, as well as every other episode of Monster Kid Radio. Again, big thanks to John Sheffer for the use of his music. The theme from the moistening from the EP, Invisible EP, the official theme song of Creature Cast Among Us. That song is copyright them. All the remaining original content of Creature Cast Among Us, 
by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. If you're listening to Just a Creature Show, I'll talk to you in a month. If you're listening to Monster Kid Radio, I'll talk to you in a couple of days. Thanks for listening. 